Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. What I'm trying to do is create a dynamic where a client is actually comparing options um, as opposed to comparing me to somebody else. Also creating happiness. Like they're they're feeling like it. they have choice. And yet I've given them three choices and I'm all happy with each of them and indifferent really. And I've given them the chance to participate in the pricing discussion. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Shifting off hourly billing can seem like a daunting task, but if done well, it doesn't need to be that hard. It does require, however, going against the grain. Right next door, the legal profession still uses hourly quite often, but not today's guest. Digby Lee is the founder of Digby Lee & Co., a legal firm dedicated to helping good people do great business. And he's here today to talk with me about how he helped his firm shift away from hourly billing and into pricing ahead of time. Digby, welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Yeah, great to be here, Geraldine. Looking forward to uh, chatting over the next half hour or so. Yes, I'm looking forward to our conversation as well. So give our listeners a little bit of background here. When did you first recognize in your firm that hourly billing was a problem? So a little bit of history uh, about me will be helpful. I was in big law or a large firm for 11 years and a partner. So very much entrenched in, um, in doing it that way. And then I founded another firm with a fellow and that lasted for 13 years. And this firm has been around now for 16 or 17 years. By and large, through most of my career, there's been a combination of hourly billing and some fixed fee work where it was very commoditized and routine type transactions, much like in the accounting industry, a personal tax return or something like that. I think almost every firm, accountant, lawyer, you know, there'll be something they probably do on a fixed fee basis. For me, I had long believed that in the legal industry, that the hourly model was broken. I had, in fact, I guess when I really put a line in the sand, as I wrote a memo to myself about four or five years ago, and I did what most people do when they write a memo, they put it in a drawer. And I, I proclaimed that this was the time we needed to move away from hourly billing. And I um, put all the reasons in there and then I got lo- it got lost and I got busy with the everyday of helping clients and being there for them, the, you know, creating the financial results that you need to do to keep the business going. And then um, on March 16th of 2020, uh, a lot of people remember that time. 
um, there's this thing called COVID that started to arrive. And I was flying back from Palm Desert, um, where I we have a place. I was on the airplane uh, with my wife, and I was just there, which I do on flights. And I was thinking to myself, I went, like, what better time to create price certainty for clients than this incredible uncertainty that we're going to have as I was going back into a 14-day quarantine. So, you know, I guess like for everybody, there's a catalyst or there's a demarcation point of some sort. And uh, I've always been pretty brave when it comes to change. So that's the that's the point at which um, it was so clear in my mind that I just said, yes, we're going to do it. And then I went ahead and did it. Okay, great. And what were some of the problems that you were experiencing in the legal profession, especially when it comes to hourly billing? How is it broken in the legal space? Interestingly, we didn't have a lot of clients necessarily asking for fixed fees. You know, we would have some difficult conversations when we completed a task, like why was, how did we spend our time? What was the bill? And, but I wouldn't say we had tremendous demand, which you sometimes get through institutional clients if you have a, you know, significant either accounting or legal practice. I really felt like within our industry that it was ripe for change. And so I looked at it from, I looked at all three stakeholders. I thought about clients and I've talked about that a little bit. And I thought about the people actually working in, in the industry, whether they're lawyers or paralegals, um, but the actual people. And then I thought about it on a law firm basis or on a business level basis and profit. Individually, what I saw was complete burnout in the industry. The only way to make more money or to contribute more financially to the business you work for was more hours. And it just seemed so wrong to me. And we were losing a lot of people. And and through COVID, we've lost a tremendous amount of people from the industry because of the grind. Like there's just, you know, there's just too many 16-hour days, seven days a week. It's just too much. And so I really felt like we needed to change. And so the fear of changing often comes from, well, we're going to lose money. Um, This is such a, um, a good model. I just didn't believe that. I thought what would happen is that, if we moved away from the hourly model, that we would have a, um, we would create efficiencies. We would have better resource allocation to projects. We'd have better project management because we'd be there'd be incentive to do all those things. And if you stuck with the hourly model, it, there just wasn't alignment. And so I really felt like it would be good for all three stakeholders. And so that's how I looked at it. And that's kind of the why we made the shift. And I think I thought all that at the time, and I've now proven out a lot of that over time. But I think I, you know, as much as you can go back and go, what did I really think? That's what I think I thought. <laughs> okay. So you're in the plane, March 2020, so two years ago now, and you think to yourself, all right, this is the time we need to provide price certainty during this time of extreme uncertainty. What was the first place you started? How did you go about it? Or did you just like, did you go piecemeal or did you go whole hog? Where'd you start? What we did is, and there wasn't a manual. There had nobody, like I, you know, it's like, oh, just go figure this out. So the first thing I did is, uh, now the good news is my son, Scott, who was a lawyer, had made the final decision to leave the industry. Like he wasn't going to do this any longer, even at our firm, where it's not as much of a grind as it could be other places. So I thought, and I worked with Scott on, I turned all our, I looked at all that we did and I created 40 different project types. So instead of like areas of practice, I went like, oh, an incorporation. Um, you know, it's a type of corporate practice. I looked at uh, 
an M&A transaction acting for a vendor on an asset transaction or a, on, a, um, on a share transaction. But I broke it down and came out to about 40 different types of projects that we regularly did. I then, then we then looked at each of the projects and we looked at the factors that we thought that there would be in determining a price. And we used two different um, aspects. We looked at value on one side, like, you know, what are we delivering to clients? What are they getting from it? Like how much is involved, what risk there is. And then we looked at the input side, which was a lot about like, well, if there's five shareholders, we're going to have a lot more communication. It is going to take a lot longer. It's not, there's, so there's sort of a cost side and a value side. And then underlying all that was a, was a, um, was the market and understanding ranges and markets. So we use that as the underpinnings. And then, and then we went and created uh, base amounts and factors for each of the areas. And the factors, some had numbers attached to it, like price points, and some had just, you need to stop and think about this. Like, it, almost like a checklist. It took us six months to create that. We created it, and then we also, at the same time, thought it was really important internally and externally that we jump in the deep end, not dip our toe in the shallow end. And so we gave it a name. We went through a naming process with a creative agency, Will Creative, a little plug for them. And then we came up with the name Frank Fee, which is kind of cute. It's somewhat descriptive. And we just thought, and it's actually become a thing now. Clients go, can I get the Frank Fee for that? And I kind of laugh because it didn't even exist. Once we had the guidelines, we, we, we launched. So I'll just pause there for a second because that's, maybe I can add one more thing. You know, those guidelines and what we've done, you know, when we launched, I've worked with my two sons to create a SaaS product, a web-based SaaS product to help the legal industry do exactly that. And we launched that on February 8th under the name Alt-Fee Solutions. So, you know, believe strongly we're, we're not only doing it internally, we're looking to help change the entire legal industry. And then we'll, we'll eventually get to the accounting industry. But first things first, well, that'll give you a little bit of background as to how we got started and uh, and what what gave us the confidence to kind of to, to move. To, and we launched it was September 8th of 2020. Okay, so it took you six months just to go from decision, we are doing this, to actual implementation. When you went into the deep end, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Did you go all at once with all your services all had fixed prices up front? Talk about that and what was the sort of client or customer experience of that? How to go when you dove in? Was the water a lot colder than expected or did it go okay or what? Client reaction. I don't think I can think of one situation in now two years time or year and a half time where clients have said this this is a, a, a bad idea. Um, you're just trying to charge us more money. I, I haven't had one, but I also believe pricing is a craft um, to be developed. And, you know, when you move away from an hourly model and you move to a new, it's a craft. And so I think I've learned a lot in the uh, year and a half, but I'm also very um, collaborative in my pricing. So I'm not dictatorial. Clients don't get like, this is going to be this. I go, because when you used, um, you know, an agreed upon price up front, say a fixed fee, scope is everything. Like it's, what are you going to do? And so I let clients have a lot of say, and I spend a lot of time on what's the success look like for you? What are you really trying to achieve? 
you know, what are you worried about? Like a lot of interested and curious type of listening to dig deep in. And I am slow to, to price. I would rather know more. And as a tool, sometimes what we do is we unbundle and we, we segment and we say, let's just price strategy. Like this is a big project. Let's um, have a very you know modest amount. We're going to spend some time really getting to know each other and building trust, which takes time. So I, I often use that as a strategy on a large, complex matter where it takes a while to build trust. So in, in answer to your question, uh, I, clients, as far as I can tell, love it. Really zero uh, negative feedback. And I'd say the only thing we did that was kind of like not in the deep end is we had a, a couple of clients that we didn't push away from the hourly model that were continuous. We left them where they were and we still have a couple of those, but everything new, everything like we, we I think if someone came to us brand new and said, we'd like you to do this on an hourly basis and no matter who they were and what they wanted, I think we'd say no. I don't think it's in our DNA any longer to do it. So um, clients, and I, I can't, you know, the water was warm, I guess. And I, I don't think I found even a little cold pocket was really, really positive with clients. And, you know, we'll get onto it later. But in terms of the, the, you know, how did it work for the firm? How is it working for individuals? We'll talk about that in a bit, but that'll be warm as well. Great. I think there's a lot of fear that the, um, that the water will be ice cold and scope will creep endlessly and people will lose their shirts on the price. So how did you ensure that your projects were going to be profitable? I mean, 40 different kinds of project types is a lot to keep track of. How did you ensure profitability as you transition to the new thing? Well, one of them is to stop caring so much about each project. I uh, And I listen to people talk about moving uh, you know, moving to fixed fee. And then I go, you're really doing nothing different. You haven't changed your mentality at all. You are fearful of having one project where you might have to put too much time in. I think if you can take a broader approach and look at how are things going, and I want to be able to do startup company work for a more modest fee than what an hourly rate would dictate. You know, there's a tremendous issue in the legal industry, you know, of access to justice. And I think this is part of being able to handle all that. I look at it holistically and I, I'm also very, like I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I feel like I've never been paid for every hour I've worked in my life. So for me to make the personal transition was easy. I think for the people in our firm, it took longer. But over time, they heard what we're, you know, they heard what we talked about. We stopped talking about recorded time, although we continue to record it for management purposes. And we started to talk about billing realization rates and billings attributable to your work. And, you know, we looked at it, we started to look at it differently and we reward differently. We align our remuneration as well. Yeah. So let's talk about since we're on the space of, you know, how it shifted in terms of mentality and, and scope creep and so on, how did it affect overall firm profitability? What happened there? So I guess to go back, um, I wasn't really sure how it was, but as I said before, I felt like it would create a uh, mentality of improved systems. And, and when I see what we've done, I really see a lot of improvement on our systems. 
people are committed to improving the systems because one of the data points that we've really focused on in our firm is what's called billing realization rates. Lots of people may know exactly what that means, but what it is is when we send a bill out and the fee for the bill, we look at the time cost for that bill. And the time cost will, um, was, which is really multiplying everybody's hourly rates by the hours they put in, as you would with an hourly model. But we wanted to know whether we were doing better than if we billed by the hour. or And we felt like we really needed to keep the data. And a lot of law firms that have changed have got rid of that, of recording time. But I just believe, for management purposes, we need to continue to do it. So we did. And so we so to kind of give some data on that, if you look at the Clio trend, legal trend report, which is a big thing in the legal industry, you'll see that the average billing realization rate. Just for listeners, what is the Clio trend? Because they may not know. Yeah. So the Clio legal trend, Clio is a, um, is a major software company that provides, throughout the U.S. in particular, provides the, um, the infrastructure for law firms and their accounting systems and all that. And they're, they've become very significant and have lots of people and so they as one of the uh, resources that they provide they they survey their customers and they create trend reports for the legal industry that you're able to as a lawyer um, look at so when they looked at law firms in 2020 the average billing realization rate was 83 percent in 2021 it was 84 percent when we launched in September of 2020, historically, we'd been at about 88, 89%. So we're already probably better than average. And so I'll just take that forward to where we are right now, and you'll see a pretty amazing result. So in the end of 2020, still stayed at the high 80s. Then the first half of 2021, it was 92%. So it definitely started to move in the right direction in a, in a meaningful way with enough of a sample size that, it, that we thought, well, that makes, that makes sense. That means something. The second half of 2021, the, you know, the year we just finished, we were at um, uh, 100%, like unbelievable. Like now every hour. And so we're getting a lot more for our time. And I think people like buy into that in the firm because they go, you know, I don't want to work more. I want some balance in life if I can get more out of my time. So, and then fast forward to, we're now, you know, through the first few months in 2021, right now it looks like it's somewhere about 105, 106%. Okay, wait, wait, hey, hold on. The math person over here is like, how do you get to 100? People are paying more than you're billing for? No, no, the um, the math of it is the bill, the amount, we don't bill by the hours. So the hours aren't what we're billing. The time cost isn't what we're billing. That's just the input that it took to get the work done. Let's just talk about an example, uh, incorporating a company for someone. We have built over years and years and years great systems and great share structures. And so we have an ama- we have a really quite an amazing system and we have very good people executing on that. So we, we've got a standard price. We've always had a standard price. Let's call it $1,000 for the purpose of this discussion. The, when we look at how much time the individuals spend to incorporate a company for a client, and we look at the time times their hourly rates, which we've still kept, it might come to say $500 of time cost. That is really the input, if you will, 
into getting the incorporation filed on. So that would be a billing realization rate of 200%. More than, in other words, we build more than the time cost would have dictated if we'd done it on an hourly model because we had an agreed upon price up front of $1,000. Okay, got you. So for listeners, my understanding of it anyways, and I don't spend a lot of time trying to understand realization rates, but it is the amount of, it's the percent of money that they collect relative to what they bill. So it's a different metric, which is why it kind of um, threw me for a loop there. So you're at, a, you're at 105, 106%. What are we talking in actual dollars? That's a different, that's a percentage point climb of from 88, you're looking at whatever that math is, 17%. Is that like half a million, a million, 5 million, 100,000? Where are we here? Well, so it depends on the size of your business and you don't get to know that. Sure. Yep. But uh, what I can tell you is I did some math on that once. And what it what to me it meant is that for every hour, you just got 15 minutes back to yourself. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Let me let that settle in. <laughs> I like that. For every hour, okay. you got one quarter of it back to yourself because you look at the you look at 88 percent you move that to 105 percent and you count and you, you use that you look at the difference in that and you'll see that something like getting 15 minutes back to yourself every hour which is a big number that's yeah that's a lot of time i mean that's basically going from an eight hour day to a six hour day or however you want to you know any variation on that so let's talk about how this has affected burnout and the grind and losing people and the things that you mentioned at the outset yeah, that's interesting. So I don't think I can uh, build any sort of correlations there. Um, I would say we, like a lot of businesses, have been very much affected by COVID. Um, there's a lot of people just generally leaving industry, rethinking what they're up to. So, and it's not, a, and with people moving and coming, it's difficult to really tie one to the other. So I really don't feel like I can come to any conclusions that way. Um, what I can say is when we talk to the people and we ask them, we did that. And one of my, um, I do a regular article on, in LinkedIn. Our people were, you know, they were really excited. What they, one of the things they said is that we really like not having to have those conversations with clients after we finish the project about how we spent our time. I can also say our, you know, you're talking about billing realization rates in the in the accounting industry about how it's that's what collectability if you will you know we don't have any conversation with the clients about receivables any longer because they know exactly what it's going to be so our collect collections have begun a lot easier so are they paying up front or are you doing the work and then sending them the bill after the fact but the price is agreed upon up front it's a, we're in the weeds here but anyways we are in the weeds and you could do it either way and sometimes we would take a retainer and sometimes we wouldn't most of the time we don't uh, most a lot of our work is it's very um, we build relationships for life and so it's repeat it's it's referrals from good sources you know our practice is not to be to take retainers that much of the time so you're two years in now looking back to that moment that you were on the plane you said this is it we're pulling off the band-aid what do you see in retrospect in terms of the progress that you've made what have been your most important sort of learnings along the way pricing's a craft <laughs> that is it. Like, and I, if I knew what I knew now, I would have spent more time internally on on the skill. There's so many things that you can do to be successful, and I, I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the billing realization rate improvement has come from, you know, better better skill set at pricing. So, I'll give you a couple of examples. Is um, one of the things I do 
if at all possible, is I move away from, uh, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be the price. Um, I love to give clients options. Uh, and I'll, get, I'll use a simple, you know, in a complex transaction, like, a, you know, a sale of a business, I might say, well, we could do this a few different ways. You could pay me X amount per month, which will be a pretty uh, significant amount. If the deal closes or doesn't close, you just keep paying until it come, the project comes to an end. Or we could have a very small amount, uh, what I'd call more like a working fee, which M&A agents use. Uh, but there'll be a success fee at the end that you'll only pay if the transaction concludes. But I get a little bit along the way. And so if you look at those couple of options, and then I might use a hybrid, which is, you know, a little bit more per month and maybe a little less, you know, what I'm trying to do is create a dynamic where a client is actually comparing options um, as opposed to comparing me to somebody else. Also creating happiness, like they're, they're feeling like it, they have choice. And yet I've given them three choices and I'm all happy with each of them and indifferent really. And I've given them the chance to participate in the in the pricing discussion. So I think that's, you know, those are things you learn. The, another thing you learn is patience, you know, and you learn to have conversations, not just flip out an email, but get to know people because that really does affect the project. It, it affects what success. So, but it's a, it's a craft and it needs to be developed over time. Now, crazy um, you know, this I would never have seen coming. So I, I, I think I said before, we launched a, a product called AltFee, which is a SaaS-based product, which is a tool. So our firm uses that. And we used it before the launch, going back to last October. And when we started, and so it allows people to go in and to create price with confidence. And so right now, um, most of our pricing is done by paralegals. They can do all the work. They have the confidence. They'll get a lawyer sign off, but they're doing all the hard work, all the hard thinking. And then they're coming and saying, what do you think? Or they can add us onto the project. I, I didn't see how that was. And they've now have some of the conversations or a lot of the conversations. It doesn't have to be me all the time. They have the confidence to have it. So that's another thing that's happened that I didn't know was going to happen when I started. Yeah, that you never could have foreseen coming. So I just want to sum up what you mentioned earlier back there that you're in terms of options for your clients, for your buyers, is that rather than negotiate the price, you're negotiating, if you will, you're offering up different payment terms so they can choose among payment terms instead of focusing on the price itself. They're focusing on what's the best way for them to pay you. It's a different calculus in their mind. Yeah, and sometimes there, there are different criteria for payment, right? Like say if it's a success fee, you don't pay if there's not success. You know, it'd be like a contingency fee in our world. So, you know, there's a different there's a different allocation of risk as well. Yes, yes. Sometimes you're right. It's just about how are you going to pay? And so I use how are you going to pay a lot for startups, you know, I'll give them the choice of X amount lump sum. You'll pay when you get the bill, when we finish the project. Or if you want to pay over a month, over, say, six months and smooth out the cash flow, then it'll, it'll effectively have an interest component built into it, but it'll be a little bit more. So you can do that and be indifferent. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit, I, and I do want to come to the SaaS piece in just a second, but the risk piece is so important. And I think we underestimate 
on behalf of our buyers, the risk that they experience taking on when working, especially with a lawyer and the history of, you know, just being fleeced and taken for a ride and the reputation and all the rest, their view of the risk. So can you talk about how the payment options in their mind reduce their perception of the risk, thereby making it easier for them to purchase from you? Well, the example I was using was the service provider is taking risk in the result. And so if the result is an X, then the service provider is assuming some of that risk. And you will be paid less than your time cost for sure, less than your inputs. But if success happens, you'll be paid perhaps a lot more than the time you put in. And so that's just a reallocation of risk. And so that works really well. Like a client is likely, if they've got lots of cash flow, lots of resources, they're just going to try and manage it around what what's their bet on the best pricing for them. And they may, they may be quite happy paying more each month, knowing that they can afford it. And But if the client doesn't really want to take on that risk, doesn't have the cash flow, then they'll be more apt to go to something where if I get, if I close this transaction, I get all this money, then I'm going to share it with you, that type of um, approach. And, and you'll work, you'll help me get there. More like you'd see closer, more akin to like a real estate agent in a transaction, how they get paid, completely the risk is shared. We, we have hybrid models. And really, the only limit is your imagination as to how you want to price. As soon as you get past the, I might work for free on this, you can get past that thought. Um, and I'm more about the business working as a whole, then you will be fine. And that is, a, that is the, one of the biggest hurdles for people moving away from hourly models. I love that. Get past the thought, I might work for free on this. So let's go over to the SaaS product, because this is quite interesting how this arose. So you, you talked about how that is working already inside your firm. Is it also something that you are offering to other lawyers? Like, how, Are you monetizing it? How else is that working now? So that's, that's a very scalable business. Um, we decide, I mean, there's really a couple things going on there. One is that I am at a stage in my career where I actually think I might be able to help change the legal industry. I want to give back, and that is really important to me. And I, I love that notion that I might make things just a little bit better by what I'm doing. Um, I'm past the notion of I need to earn an extra X amount per year. I, you know, my wife and I have decided we're going to be okay in retirement. So whatever that is, and it probably won't happen because um, I love what I do. Um, so that that's part of it. But it's also very different than a service provider industry, right? Like this is uh, incredibly scalable. Our market is worldwide. Literally every lawyer anywhere so far only in the English language. So we have lots of traction in Australia, New Zealand, the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Anybody that, you know, we have a lot of interest and we just launched in February. So we don't have the sales yet to match. We've got lots of demos, lots of, we're, you know, at the first stages of sales, but uh, we really think that we're in a niche and very excited about what we're up to with Altfee. Just to give listeners something of a picture of what this looks like, because we say SaaS and it's immediately like this nebulous thing out in the cloud. Is it a, like, is it a spreadsheet? Is it an app? Is it a calculator? Like what actually is it? So I uh, turn on my computer in the morning, 
and uh, I have my intranet and then I have my what's alt fee. It comes up as one of my tabs in there, you know, in a sort of in a drop down box type area. I can go to any practice area, any um, type of project and to a specific guideline and go into it. And then I can immediately start to price a project and I can and I and all the factors are there, the base amounts. And so we can create pricing around a proposed project by just with a calculator built in um, with a, a very customizable for factors that we've never thought about before. And then we can share with team members and then we put in our our insights or our learnings on an ongoing basis. So as we finish something, we go, oh yeah, this is what we learned here. So when someone goes to do that type of project next time, they'll see what we did. So we built in a continuous learning loop as well as a tool that does that very thing that I talked about. What it took us six months to do, we give it to people. All they really have to do is put their prices in there and maybe modify factors as they see it, but we've also given them a starting point. So it's, and ultimately, you know, we have lots of ideas and this is the the first version, but we really want to start tying it back into being able to send the, the bills out, have that feature come come along with it. The real, the hard data analytics part, like I talked about billing realization rates, we want to start to build that in. But as you can see, we have to be able to dovetail into accounting systems and things to be able to do some of that. So we started with the same way we started in our firm with the pricing guidelines. Okay. Yeah. So I have the picture and where I think you're headed with that is marketing that, offering that to other firms who could then implement the same thing. So they don't have to spend the same six months figuring out and diving into the pool head first to test the water. They have al- they already have something that's been proven that they can just customize based on their own factors. And I think where you're potentially headed with that, because like you mentioned, it's entirely scalable, is now once you've built it, the rest is basically... Well, can you talk about how you anticipate what the profit margins might be on that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about money around here. <laughs> well, because you uh, haven't, because you don't know the price, or because you don't want to share about the prices, or because no, I think it's it's uh, it's just so early to every prediction we make is so much a guess at this stage. Yeah. Um, if we had a couple years worth of data then we would be able to do that. Um, and we also, it's really hard to imagine. I, mean, I, I know what our break-even point is because I fund it. Right. So I know what the burn rate is, and I know it's a lot because I've got two developers. I've got, uh, and I say I, we have two developers. We have, uh, we just hired a third one. We have um, Scott, my son, who's CEO, my other son, who's half-time, who's on the marketing end. Okay, so it's not inexpensive. This was not like a no. sprint, build this thing over, code this thing overnight in a closet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was a lot easier to uh, launch the Frank fee in the firm <laughs> than it is to launch this. But the upside of this is like limitless. We're, yeah. we're, and it's just so the right thing to do that, you know, if you have purpose in what you're doing as a business owner um, and you really believe in it, then you know, it's a, you know, you'll find the path and especially we're, cl- as they say, we're close to the money. Um, if you're close to the money in your idea, then that really helps. Love that. You will find the path. So last question here, as we wrap up for folks who are, you know, just about to board the plane, so to speak, going back to the beginning and ready to, you know, 
say to themselves, that's it. You know, I've just been through the ringer of three endless tax seasons and I just can't take it anymore. Something has to change. Once the April 15th deadline goes by, we are changing how we price. We are going, we are diving in. What would you say to that person? That's really cool. That's really brave because the personality types that generally become accountants and lawyers, they're not generally as entrepreneurial as it takes to make make the shift. There's a, a fear that if other people aren't doing it, everybody isn't doing it, it's not right. So you, you really have to be a little bit the type of person that says, you know what, this makes sense to me. Um, I'm going to do it and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to think about the things I'm going to think about downside and then I'm going to execute. And, uh, so I think the per, you know, you're brave, you're courageous, you're probably entrepreneurial. Um, and you should feel pretty good about it because your clients are going to love it. You're probably going to make more money. You're, you're going to, um, your people that work for you are going to feel, um, probably a lot better and they're going to see that they can make a difference without putting in more hours. So you're on a great path. It's not easy to do, but eventually we'll all hit the tipping point. And then we'll, in, in 10 years time, we'll all be looking back and go, nobody bills by the hour any longer. It was, that was so weird. Who used to bill by the hour? That's my prediction. I love it. Well, your future awaits. Yeah. Digby Lee, this has been so fabulous. Thank you for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Yeah, definitely my pleasure. It's been fun. Pricing is a craft. And if it's one you would like to acquire so you can get 15 minutes back every hour, then stop what you're doing and head over to shethinksbigcoaching.com to subscribe to my daily drip of business strategy for CPAs. You'll get one easily digestible tip a day on how to position your business, how to price your services, and how to sell outcomes so that you can be more profitable, get your time back, and get off the tax hamster wheel for once and for all. That URL again is shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to geraldinecarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.